Hey, hey, welcome back, church. Um, welcome to week three of the series, Refocus. We've been looking at the book of Philippians, specifically Philippians chapter two, as we've been kind of investigating and and adjusting our focus, like pivoting our lives back to where the Lord is at and what is the most important thing that we need to be centered on for our lives. We, we started this a couple of weeks ago by talking about what's most important to me. And the reality is, is what's most important to me is me. And we've got to we've got to fix that focus back on where the Lord is at and where the Lord is at work and uh, the the true message of the cross. And then we investigated that just a little bit further last week with Easter Sunday as we looked at Jesus and the crucifixion and more than that the resurrection and just the magnitude of all that is. But I got to just press into this just a little bit further and just talk to you about like how has quarantine time been for you? Like you know we're under the stay at home order and. So I don't know what that looks like for you or how that fleshes out. But the way that it hits me is, man, I am so much of like a consistent and routine person. I don't like to change anything about my life. In fact, um, I, I notice such a deficiency or like a, a digression in productivity because I can't be in routine anymore. I hate that. And the way that my routine starts is that every day I go to the gym or let's be honest, some days I go to the gym and it's the first thing I do. I get up early and I go to the gym. And what I'm finding now is that I've lost like all of my willpower to work out. I just have none of it anymore. Even though the gym that I go to, it's providing these amazing at-home workouts that I get to do. And there's as much like accountability and encouragement that anybody needs to have to be able to do this and be able to be effective with it. They even lent out some of their own equipment to make it possible. I just think this is amazing. But still, here I am at my home, and I've got every reason to do it, but I'm just not working out. I'm just being plainly honest with you. In fact, twice I've got up, and I've had this mentality, like, I'm going to work out today, and the only thing it's been is like a glorified stretch. And it gave me a little bit of the willpower I needed to kind of get back into my routine, but I'm just not working out. In fact, the vision I have right now is from like the WALL-E movie. You all know the movie WALL-E, and like this image that all these people are riding around on these chairs and they like their bone structure is totally gone. They can't actually walk anymore. That's what I envision is going to be like for life for us after we get through this quarantine period. How, how is it for you when you con conceptualize the idea of what is it like to work it out? What, what are you working out in your life? And I know so many of you and so many of us are in this position right now where it's just anything to stay alive and anything to keep any semblance of normalcy and you know, every time one of our politicians opens his mouth, we have a new normal that we have to adjust to. In fact, I believe there's a new one that's coming out today. But what is it like to you to just work it out? You know, it's amazing to me how, as we kind of continue to investigate this passage from Philippians chapter 2. And Paul actually engages in that very concept. In verse 12, he says this, Philippians 2, verse 12, he says, Dear friends, and so I just love the idea that he's just... He's inviting all of us into that close network. He's like, you are my dear friends. He's like, you have always followed my instruction when I was with you. And now that I am away, it's even more important. And then he launches into the heart of his content. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. And so while I want to get to this idea of work hard or in like the King James Version, NIV, I believe he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I want to get to that idea of work it out. But before we get to the work it out part, we've got to, we've got to step in and press into the obedience part. Do you, you remember we talked about this last week and we pressed into that obedience idea where, you know, we, we love this idea from a parenting perspective of 
you know, our kids, my kids, I need them to be obedient. I need them to be reverent. I need them to be respectful. If we're going to get anywhere in, in this life with a family of, of five kids and seven of us all together, um, we need that element of, I need to expect that you're going to be obedient. I need to expect that you're going to have some respect or um, some reverence and an understanding of who we are. And so we love to keep that like centered on our children. But it went, when it comes to us and God, we kind of minimize that idea. We, we think and just literally put obedience on the shelf of it's just for my children instead of it's, it's between a relationship with God and myself. He, he says this. He says we've got to obey God with deep reverence and fear. When was the last time you actually conceptualized or thought about the idea of what it's like to have reverence and fear in relationship to God? I mean, I'll be honest, it's been a long, long time since I've thought about this, since I've really drilled down into this on any level. You know, let's look at it from this angle. Jesus says that, I mean, his words alone, and I think we can understand that his words have value and we want to honor him for the word that he spoke. He said that we've got to come to him with the faith of a child. And so if that's the way that we come to God, wouldn't that just automatically kind of put back in the idea of obedience? If we expect that over our children and God looks at us and says, I want you to come to me with the faith of a child, then man, that just totally builds back in this idea of obedience. And we've got to be able to become obedient especially this element of reverence and fear. You know, when you look at this word from its original language, it actually is the word, it's where the word phobia comes from. And we don't think of God or our relationship with God in the contrast of phobia. Some of you have phobias. Um, like, I mean, hello, the most prominent one is like fear of spiders. I don't like spiders. They're terrifying. In fact, let me tell you a little story about spiders. At the beginning of winter, um, back in the fall, I was building a fire in our in our in our wood burning stove in the basement. And I don't ever leave wood in our house just because of that. I mean, spiders love to like house on wood, and you bring them in in this house, and I'm just like right into the fireplace. Well, I'm sitting down on the floor and trying, you know, I've got my face in the fireplace trying to blow it and get this fire going, and I look over and it's the biggest wolf's spider I've ever seen is right there, right next to my head. I freaked out, jumped back so bad, screamed like Justin Bieber. And, and here's the deal. Like I grabbed my torch and I lit this thing on fire. I lit the torch, lit the spider on fire. That's the only thing I could think of in the moment is like, it's better to risk the whole house than this spider as big as my hand. That's right in front of my face. I freaked out, man. Listen, we have phobias and they're not, they're not natural. They're not, um, maybe they are natural. I don't know. Some of you have phobias or fears of like fear of heights. I don't struggle from that fear, but maybe you do. Maybe you have some kind of fears that you are wrestling with or working with on a consistent basis. But Paul injects this idea right here. Like he says, he uses the word phobia or fear. We have got to have a fear of the Lord. And this doesn't translate with us. Like why would we, why would we be afraid or why would, why would Paul want us to have this fear or terror of God? And, and I don't think, honestly, I don't think that's the way that God wants us to look at him. He doesn't want us to be terrified of him. But honestly, he does want us to have a healthy respect for who he is and the position that he holds. Let me just show you some of the, the verses from, from the Bible where um, we are introduced to this concept of the fear of the Lord. And 
they, and this are all from the book of Proverbs, all right? So Proverbs 1, 7, um, this, the author of this, this particular proverb says this. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And I'm just going to read the snippets of these, and then you can go back and look at them themselves. But Proverbs 8, 13, he goes on to say this. He says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, to detest it. I don't even want to be around it. Have a phobia of evil. Proverbs 10, 27 says, the fear of the Lord adds length to life. In 14, 27, he says, the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. In 16, 6, he says, through love and faithfulness, sin is paid for or atoned for. And through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. In 1923, it says, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and then one rests content, untouchable by trouble. Before we can get to the part of working out or showing the results of our salvation, we have to have a deep reverence and fear that's fleshed out through obedience. Honestly, one of the biggest trouble spots that we face today is that we've just lost reverence for who our God is. It's almost like, you know, we want to kind of proverbial pull up our throne right next to his and sit next to him as he judges and, and directs the entire world. And we just like, yeah, what God said, because we feel like, you know, we have that authority. We have that ability. We've lost respect for who God is. We've lost a fear of what he is able to control and what he's able to do. You know, when I think of this idea of obedience and Obedience and protection kind of go hand in hand, you know, because my children are obedient and loving and kind. And because I'm loving and kind to my children, they live under my protection because they're obedient. Now, it's not to say that when they get disobedient, they don't live under my protection. No, but when we pull ourselves away from the obedience of God, aren't we also pulling ourselves out from under his protection as well? Like this goes hand in hand. We want the protection and the grace of God, and it's fleshed out, it's perfected through our obedience. And what Paul says is that we need to be obedient in fear and reverence to our God. I just have to ask you today, like, what, how would you quantify yourself? How would you look at your own relationship with God in the filter or the lens of fear and respect or reverence? What do you look at him as? How do you see him? in your world and in your life. You know, the last thing, like I said, the last thing God wants is for us to be afraid of him. He's not a God of terror. He's not a God of a big stick sitting in heaven waiting for us to screw up so that he can shout out to us, you know, you're a failure. I knew that you were going to screw up. You had it in you the whole time. No, that's not who he is. How do we know that? Well, it's because of examples like Adam and Eve. You know the story of Adam and Eve. They lived in the garden for a period of time. We don't know how long. My guess is it's probably decades. Um, but they lived in communion with God for a period of time in this amazing paradise. And the only rule they were occupying at that time was the one thing that God said not to do. Don't touch that tree. And, you know, time passes. And after time passes, you know, we kind of tend to minimize the importance of the rule. It's not like God was telling them every day, hey, just remember, don't touch that tree. Hey, just remember what I said a long time ago. Don't touch that tree. No, he expected. He said it one time and he expected that would be enough. But time goes by and Nothing happened, so they thought, well, we'll just try it. What do we got to lose, right? And so they did, and they took that. And you don't see God come after them with a big stick and say, you screwed up. I knew it was in you. It's not like God's hiding around the big oak tree around the corner saying, you know, watching out for them, peeping out from behind this tree, being like, I knew you were going to do it. I knew I had it in my mind that you were going to screw up. I knew you were going to be a failure. That's not who our God is. 
In fact, you see a period of time pass again. And it says later on in that day that in the cool of the day, the Lord is walking in the garden and Adam and Eve heard him. And God called out to them and said, where are you? And, and he, didn't, he didn't investigate them. They knew their sin. They immediately knew that something had wrong. Something was broken. And I need you to just reaffirm or re-understand the loving relationship that God has with us, that he has for us and towards us. Um, respect, honestly, in our culture, respect is the greatest asset that we have, but we have eroded away with generations of respect by trying to be fair and politically correct by our correctness. We have single-handedly stripped away the Lord of his deep, away the Lord of his deity. We've stripped away the Lord of his deity and the position of creator and authority. We have taught that God isn't to be respected or honored, feared or revered. We have taught that somehow we are to consult him on his opinion and disregard it if we don't appreciate what he says. What happened to the fact that God is creator and we are subject to his creation? That we look to him as, as creator and author of our universe and sovereignty of who we are and of all that we get to be around. Doesn't that demand and command fear and reverence? And I think that's where Paul like pivots and, and tells us, listen, you need to refocus on the fact that this is the most important thing in your world. If you're going to experience any kind of movement and progression in your life, then you have to get to a spot where you understand the goodness of God through fear and respect. And that's where I would just encourage you to get to today. We have to get to a spot where we understand the goodness of God. I want to ask you, like, what have you learned to love in this season? You know, we go through these days of quarantine and of family time and of you know, whatever it is that you're getting creative with to be able to learn to love and to do with your family. What have you learned to love through this season? I think our, our learning to love has taken on a whole new facet and a whole new form. And, and I, I'll be honest with you, the thing that I've learned to love through this season is that we're not in control. Every day we turn, every day we look at the news and every day something different happens and we're just reminded that we're not in control. There's nothing that we can do to provide any kind of semblance of authority or control in this situation. We can't command that this virus just blow out to sea, but we do know the one who can. And listen, I, I think it's an encouragement for us to be reminded in this season of life about the largeness and the vastness of who our God is and that we are under his control. That at any point during this process that he can speak just like he spoke to winds and waves to be still, that this virus will be gone. And I, I really would encourage you, like, like, let's get back to a space. Let's refocus on a position where that is who our God is. And doesn't that command an element of fear and respect? That one of the most incredible things that we could get through this season of life right now is to be able to literally fall on our knees and have, have this astounding respect of who God is again, maybe, maybe that's what we need to learn from this. Maybe that's just one thing we need to learn from this. God doesn't need us to be afraid of who he is. We need to be afraid. Listen, we need to be afraid of what he don't do because we stopped listening. We just stopped. We stopped having a respect for the words that came from God. His word hasn't changed. It's right there. It's accessible to us at any moment that we, we, we would want it. And all we have to do is fall into obedience. And I would just encourage you with that today. But that's not really the point of our message. 
In fact, I want to go back to verse 12 for a minute. Paul says this. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. And then that caveat we just got to, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. I want you to just say that with me right now. Say, work hard. Just shout it out. Tell the neighbor that just spoke to you. Man, say, work hard. Let's just, let's get this concept, this mandate. Paul literally said this. This is this imperative phrase that he says. This isn't a suggestion. This is, a, this is an imperative mandate that he's issuing to you. Work hard to demonstrate the results of your salvation. In, in another passage, or another translation, I think I said this, but he says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. One of the biggest problems that we face today is that we haven't, we aren't able to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because we've never worked it in. It actually isn't like seated, deep-rooted into our hearts. And so the, it's the last thing to come out when panic strikes, when fear strikes. And that's exactly what Paul is getting to. Work hard to demonstrate or to show the results of your salvation. I, literally, I love this concept. This came to me this morning. He said, literally, leave a scar on the earth around you with what the salvation of the Lord has done to you. I mean, what an incredible thought. Leave a scar on the earth around you with what the salvation of the Lord has done to you. What, what kind of marks are you leaving in the world around you because of what God has done inside of you? Like, I'll be honest with you, this, this thing, this relationship that we have with God has marked us. It's changed us. It's, it's left an impression on our lives. And that's where Paul is telling us to get to. Focus on the fact that your life has been altered and changed, and it should change everything around you. Work hard to show the world around you the results of what's done inside of you. So, you know, I'm sure all of you have some form of a scar. You've got some kind of a scar on your body or, or somewhere on your person that has left a mark uh, as a result of something that happened to you, right? I mean, I've got some scars. I've got, um, I've got um, like right here, this finger right here, I've got this mark on my index finger where I ripped my, my finger on um, a gusset. Now, a gusset is like, you know, you're setting roof trusses for a house. And these things are razor sharp. And I got my finger hooked on it and, and uh, it just tore into it. And man, it bled for like three days. And so it left a scar there. And I won't, I won't forget that day. Why? Because it left a mark on me. I remember um, this, this thumb right here of a line and this thumb. I was, I was cutting an apple when I was like nine years old. And I just like, just like that and sliced my finger. And I remember freaking out, panicking. My brother sitting over on the couch and I asked him, I told him what I did. And he was like, put a bandaid on it. He had no concern at all. It's a scar. I remember that day. I remember where I was. I remember where I was standing. I remember the things that were happening around me. And, and as a result of that day, another one, like right here, I got hit in the head with a hammer. This guy reached around me and, and hit something and slipped. And right here in my head, and uh, I felt like a boxer the next day because I had this, this bandage all over my eye. But, but I remember that day. I remember the scar that it left on my body as a result of these kind of things. You all have some scars that you walk through life with. You've got some scars on your person and on your heart. And even in your relationship with God, you have some scars. And I love this concept that Paul is injecting into our world, into our lives. Work hard to demonstrate the results of your salvation. And some of those come with scars or stories that you can inject or bring up. And when people ask you, what is, what is that and why is that there? And it's an opportunity for you to, to recount what happened in your world, what happened in the results of your salvation as you work hard to show the world around you who this is and what it is and what it's done. I love this idea. In verse 13 of this same verse, in this same passage, Paul says this. He says, he says, okay, so work hard to show the results of your salvation. And then he moves and he pivots and says this, for God is working in you 
giving you the desire and the power to do exactly what he pleases. I mean, I don't think there's a person that's listening or watching this today that would disagree with the fact that you wouldn't want to be kind of the outflow of the power of God. Nobody's going to argue with that. I want that. I want to be able to see the results of the incredible power of God beyond who I am. And that's where Paul says this is at work. It's not the fact that you have to do anything. It's just that you have to be apparent that God is at work and he's going to work in you to give you a desire and a power to do what ple pleases him. You, you all and we all, we have desires. We have wants that we want to direct our lives into. We want to move here. We want to do that. We want to acquire this or whatever it is. All of us live in different desires at different times at different parts of our world. What, what if we could align, what if our desires aligned with where God's power was at work and it just became manifest in so many different ways? Can you imagine what that would look like and what that would feel like? In, in the message translation, he says this. He says, do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. I mean, I, we could sit on that all day. I don't, I don't have time, but do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this quality and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and a living God. And then I love this next line. Carry the light-giving message into the night. I love that, man. Doesn't that just sound amazing? Carry the light into the night. Like, that's what we get to do. That's who we are. Carry the light into the night so that I have good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. You'll be the living proof that I didn't go, I didn't go to all this work for nothing. Now, let me just redraw your focus to one thing in this, in this minute that I have to close this up. So Paul says this, he says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Listen, if we're not careful, we can look and believe that it's our job to work for our salvation. Understand that's not what he's saying. Work hard to demonstrate the results that salvation is already inside of you. It's um, in the book of Ephesians, Paul kind of changes this angle. He clarifies this a little bit better. And he says this, he says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And now here's the point. He says, not by works so that no one can boast. For you and I, we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Like he's already mindful of what we get to be a part of. The opportunities are already there. And this is beyond the scope of your salvation. Salvation's already been done. Now we just have this amazing privilege to work it out, to show what salvation has worked into us. We get to work it out. Man, I want to encourage you. How could you get inventive and creative in, in these days? You've got, you got some of you have a, a, some extra time on your hands. You've got some different creative opportunities. You've got a desire that God has already built into you, and he's working. Even when you can't see it, he's already working. He's doing some things around you that you have no idea that to, to be involved and invested in, and all you have to do is step up and say, man, I can, I can tackle that. I can do something with that. What would that look like for you? I want to just invite invite some of you at this point right now as the Lord just kind of continues to speak because I know he does and I know he will as you press into that idea of salvation and maybe this is your moment 
Maybe this is the day that you recognize and understand the power of Jesus coming to this earth to die on a cross to pay for your sins. And maybe in this setting, in this culture, in this environment that we're living in right now that's so crazy and so different and every day brings a new, a new normal that we have to adapt to, that maybe the normal that you need to hold on to is the fact that the Lord is in control. And you just need to surrender to that. I mean, I, I want to just give you an opportunity right now in this different form of church to just say, man, I need to believe in Jesus. I, I need this. This is what I need for my life. I believe that he would work in you. I believe that he would give you that understanding right now to know that this is the day I need to believe in him. It's not, it's not about anything that you do. You just recognize that. It's not by works that I have done so that no one can boast. It's all about who Jesus is and what he did and the work that he did on a cross to pay for our sins and our evil, to atone, to, to buy us from who we were, from what we've done. I want to just give you that opportunity right now to believe that, to confess, to make a public confession that Jesus is Lord and I need him in my life. Listen, if you need some help with that, if you need some understanding, if you need some clarification on how to make that work, that's why we're here. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step to find and follow Jesus Christ. Even in a time like this, we will meet with you, we will help you, we will pray with you, we will walk with you as you live and learn these elements of faith. God, I want to just thank you today for this, this idea, this concept that we get to have to work out our salvation, to work out the results of it, to demonstrate, to leave a scar on the world around us, Lord. And so I pray over this church, Lord, as they investigate this, as they feel the weight of a, a different element that you would place upon them to clarify that they get to flesh out in their world, Lord. Help us to be creative today with these opportunities to leave a scar, a mark on the world around us to demonstrate what's been done inside of us, God. And Lord, help us to understand the weight of reverence and fear as we kind of press into recognizing the largeness and the scope of who you are and how little and how finite we are in the scope of your world. God, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your truth. And we pray that you would just take this and use it and move, move your mission forward, God, as a result of this church. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, church, thanks so much for being a part of our experiences today. Listen, don't forget the fact that we're still here. Like our hub is still working. If you need some help, uh, use that connection card to just let us know what's going on in your world and what you can, what you need, some ways that we can help. Um, don't forget, Tuesday night, every Tuesday night, we're going to have Flow Night online right here at Facebook Live. And uh, so we'll see you then. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.